I just want to welcome you today. Uh, it's a good day, isn't it? Uh, in the Lord, what a beautiful weekend we've had. Man, it's great to see all of you here. And if you're joining us for the very first time, we're in the third week of an incredible series, I believe, called An Awakening. Because it's really uh, been an awakening for a lot, of, a lot of reasons in my own personal life as I've been going through this. You know, I believe that God is calling every one of us to experience an awakening in our lives. Why? Well, partly because we all have those times when we feel distant, when we feel disconnected spiritually from God, kind of like we're stuck coasting or that we're asleep. And so I think all of us, we just need that kind of that alarm to go off that just wakens us out of our sleep. So no matter where you are on the journey of life, Last week, we invited everybody to pray a, a simple prayer at the end, and it's simply this, God, make yourself known to me. Make yourself known to me. Awaken me to who you are, and awaken in me the ability to see what's missing in my life is you. And that's my prayer, is that we will just wake up to the fact that the things that we are searching for, those longings that we looked at last week, those things that we feel like are missing... The only thing that's missing is, is God. We tend to push him away and push him out, and we just need him in our life. You know, last week, again, we, we got the process started by dealing with that first awakening, and that's the awakening to longing. Well, we began to realize that there's just got to be more to this life. I mean, that's the question we ask. Is there more? I mean, is this all there is? There's got to be more to life than this. I believe that every one of us longs for a love that's real. I believe all of us long to find purpose. We want to know that we have purpose. In fact, I got an amazing email this week from, from somebody who, who, who fit exactly what we talked about last week. And she says she struggled for purpose. But she found it when she stopped looking around and she started looking up. Then she found her purpose. It was just to glorify God. I mean, I was, I was so amazed at this email. You see, we all long for purpose. We all long for meaning. We long to find the answers to the puzzles of life. And these longings are hardwired inside of us, and they propel us forward as we seek to satisfy the desires that God has put within us. You know, the thing that I told you last week that I want you to never forget, and that is this. The longings that we have, man, they're not bad. They're not bad. After all, they, they're God-given. I mean, he has given them to us. They only turn bad when we try to meet them and satisfy them apart from God. Now, those longings emerge in one particular story in the Bible. And it's the story that we began to look at last week. It's kind of known as the story of the prodigal son. It's found in Luke chapter 15. As I was thinking about that this week, I, I came across a, a story. A, a dad was sitting down. He was, it was at bedtime, and uh, he was, he, like he did every night, he was reading a story to his seven-year-old son. And so as they read out of the Bible, he picked the story of the prodigal son to read to his son that night. And so as he was reading it, he was going through, you know, talking about how the son, you know, wasn't happy. He came to the father, said, and demanded that he get his inheritance, and he took it. He went to this far-off country. He blew everything he had, ended up feeding pigs 
finally came to census, came home. When the story was done, he simply turned to the son. He said, so son, so what would you learn from this? His son thought for a moment. He said, well, dad, I learned that you never should leave home without your credit card. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure that's kind of what he had in mind for his son to pick up. But let me tell you, as we unpack that story, we discover that when we try to satisfy those longings for more apart from God, they will always, always lead us to a distant place and a place that's further away from the Father. So today we're going to answer the question, how can I start over? You ever asked that? You ever felt that in in your heart, in your life? Man, I just... I just want to start over. We are going to look at the awakening to regret. You ever had regrets? I think all of us have. And I think this was the thing that really came into my mind this week as I was preparing for this, is those regrets began to play in my mind. Pray with me as we begin today. Lord, I just thank you for this time. And God, I thank you for all you've done. God, I thank you for being the God who works upstream. That even in our regrets, even in those times when we don't know what's happening, in those times when we don't know what's going on, Father, you do. Because you're that kind of a God, and we thank you for that. I pray for this morning. I pray for your spirit to work and to move and to be in people's lives. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now, I was sharing with uh, Matt and a few of the elders before. This is the type of message, as we get into this now, this is the kind of message that I will believe will cause one of three reactions to take place in your life. Uh, when you leave here today, you'll have one of these, I guarantee you. You'll either be mad, sad, or glad. Okay? When you leave... You may be mad. You may be mad because today your toes are going to get stepped on so bad that you're going to wish you had steel-toed shoes on. You, you may be mad because of the things that you're doing in your life, and you just don't want to take care of them. You, you just are saying, I, I'm okay, and that's fine. So you'll leave here, and you may be mad, but you also may be sad because you may be sad because you realize the things in your life that need to change, but the problem is you just aren't willing to do it yet. And so you leave here sad because of Knowing you should, but just not doing it. Or you, you'll leave glad because you got yourself right with God. And now you know that he's taking care of you. And like the father in the story, man, he just is welcoming you home. And you leave glad. Now my prayer is that it's the, it's the latter, not the first two. But that's up to you. It's a choice that only you have today. So let's get started. You know, I don't know if you've ever had this happen. Chad, I don't know if you've ever had this happen in your life, uh, especially leading small groups or not. But I was talking to a pastor friend of mine who was talking about a new person that had just this new family had started coming to the church. They were trying to get them plugged into a small group. And he goes, I don't know if I want to be in a small group. He goes, well, why, why don't you want to be in a small group? He goes, because of the last experience that we had. 
And he goes, what in the world happened? So he, he began to share. This is what he said. He says, let me tell you about our experience with the last small group. He said, when we got there that night and the leader got everybody together, right out of the gate, this was the first question that he asked. What are your biggest regrets? He goes, we're new. He said, if he were to ask me right now, I would say my biggest regret was coming to this small group. <laughs> That's my biggest regret right now. You ever had that happen in your life? You see, the reality is it's tough to admit, let alone talk about some of the regrets that are in, that are in our lives, especially in front of other people. But here's the thing. We all have them. And some of our, our regrets deal with stuff that's not necessarily about right and wrong. But other regrets, man, they deal with those deep, deep issues in our life. I mean, maybe you've hurt someone you love. Maybe it's abuse. Maybe it's an affair. Maybe it's neglect. Maybe because of some bad choices, temptation won out again in your life. Maybe you compromised your character or your integrity, and the list can go on and on. You see, those regrets tend to cut us very deep because they have consequences both on the earthly as well as the spiritual plane and the spiritual level. And they provide the fertile soil for things like guilt and shame and bitterness and anger to grow as they begin to take you farther and further away from God. Now... You may be wondering this morning why I have a breakfast table over here. Now, there's three possible reasons for this. The first one is this. It's because I didn't get breakfast this morning, and I may get hungry as I'm preaching. And so I've got some corn checks, and I've got some milk, and a, and a bowl. I, I, and if I want to, I could come over and eat. That's one possible reason. It's not the right one, but it is a possible one. Okay, there's another reason that, that's a possible reason. That is this. Those of you that know, Lucy's gone for the month. This is a table we've had in a bedroom. I may be trying to downsize while she's gone. <laughs> so at the end of the service, I may be auctioning this off. I mean, that is a possible reason. But it's not the right reason. The main reason I have this table sitting here is because when I think about regret... I think about the morning after. I think about the number of times that I've sat at a table like this, playing over and over again in my mind the events of the night, be the night before, or the day before, the week before. And that regret track, man, it just keeps playing over and over again in my mind. And I think all of us know the feeling. You get that thickness in your throat that makes it kind of hard to swallow. And maybe images of what you did or saw keep flashing through your mind. And you really don't want to talk to anyone. It's just a serious, quiet, reflective time. And unfortunately, it provides the right soil for regret to grow in your heart. So let me ask you. What's it like the morning after? What's it like the morning after? After the drinking has gone too far. After the fighting with your spouse or your kids. After the computer porn. 
I mean, what's the biggest regrets in your life? Now, let me tell you, it really doesn't matter if your stories of regret are boring or if they could literally, you know, provide you with your own reality TV show. Because all of us have done enough to know what the morning after is like. To not want to be here in this place. To have that ache in the pit of your stomach. Here's the thing. The memories of yesterday tend to spoil your view of the day. And they will make you want to cry out. How can I start over? I mean, how can I start over in life? But here's what tends to happen to a lot of us. As quickly as regret sparks within us a desire to start over, it also raises up doubts about whether it's even possible to start over. You ever been there? I mean, how can they ever look past what I've become? I mean, how can I make things right? Or how will God ever forgive me for the things that I've done? You see, at times, maybe even now, We've all been haunted by the possibility that we've done the unmentionable. You know those things that we think are on God's list? And the sad truth is, man, the church, we haven't helped people who's struggling with their regrets. Instead, a lot of times the church tends to feed the fear of what God might do to us. I mean, after all, throughout history, man has done a good job of rewriting the truths of God's word to create our own unmentionable list, don't we? So where do we go? Where do we go to find the answers, to find the meaning for regret, to find that awakening that we need in our life? Well, again, I want us to go to the story in Luke chapter 15, the story that's referred to as the story of the prodigal son. Again, if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 15, or you can follow along on the screen. But we're going to begin today, even though we looked at the first several verses, verses 11 through 13, I want us to begin again with verse 13. Look at what it says. Not long after that, the younger son packed up everything he owned. He left for a foreign country where he wasted all his money in wild living. And we talked about that last week, what that wild living must look like. He had spent everything when a bad famine spread throughout the whole land. Soon he had nothing to eat. He went to work for a man in that country, and the man sent him out to care for his pigs. He would have been glad to eat what the pigs were eating, but no one gave him a thing. And here's the thing we discovered. In his longing and pursuit for more, because he thought there had to be more than the farm, you know, more than just what he was doing on the farm with his father and with his brother. There had to be more than that. In that pursuit, it left him empty-handed, alone, and in a very bad place. And the reality is, if our story ended right here with that last verse that we just read, he'd be like every other statistic on the news, wouldn't he? But the good thing is this, it, it doesn't, and it didn't. Because look what it says. Let's continue on reading. Finally, he came to his senses and said, My father's workers have plenty to eat, and here I am starving to death. I will go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned 
against God in heaven and against you. I am no longer good enough to be called your son. Treat me like one of your workers. The younger son got up and started back to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt sorry for him. And he ran to his son and hugged and and kissed him. Now, here's what I want us to see today. There's three major elements here that when they are strung together, they provide the momentum needed to get the son and to get us headed back home to the father. And the first one is simply this. He acknowledged his need. He acknowledged his need. I love this statement that the son makes. He says, my father's workers have plenty to eat, and here I am starving to death. I mean, he finally began to understand. He finally began to acknowledge and recognize the need that he had in his life. But here's the unfortunate thing. It took him a while to realize it, didn't it? I mean, it didn't just happen overnight. I mean, the pieces don't always just come together that easily or quickly. I don't know if you found this true in your life, but I have in mine. And that is uh, this. It just takes time at times. And, and unfortunately, at, sometimes it just doesn't come soon enough, does it? And I think we can all relate. Things happen, circumstances change, but sometimes it just takes a while before we come to a point of need. It may be physical, it may be emotional, it may be spiritual, but sometimes until our life is out of control, sometimes we won't do anything about it. That's where we we found the son in our story. His life's out of control. He's lost his money. He has no place to go. Literally, he's feeding pigs and wishing he could eat what they're eating. Richard Rohr, an author and Franciscan friar, said, You cannot heal what you do not acknowledge. And what you do not consciously acknowledge will remain in control of you from within, festering and destroying you and those around you. And that is so true. You see, we have to acknowledge the need. And fortunately for our son, over time, the second element came into play, and it's simply this. He came to his senses. He came to his senses. Now, this also didn't happen overnight. It took time. Here's a principle. Here's something I want us to realize, and it's this. There tends to be a gap between our point of need and actually coming to our senses. There's this gap that's here. Between our point of need and coming to our senses. And that gap is different for all of us. Some it may be short, but for others it may take quite a while before we come to our senses. Now here's what I mean. We tend to think since I've created the mess, then I must fix the mess. I mean, I have to do something to take care of this because after all, I've created it. And let me be very honest with you. Most if not all the time, let me tell you, that's a bad idea. Okay, when you feel like you've got, you've got to be the one that fixes things, that's a bad idea all the way around. And for the son in our story, he lost all of his money. He basically disowned his family. He had nowhere to go, but in spite of that, he doesn't immediately come to his senses. Instead, what does he do? He goes and looks for a job. 
He goes and looks for a job. And the only job he can find, a farmer finally says, look, you can come and you can feed my pigs. Now, never mind the fact that the pigs aren't kosher, and so he's compromising his whole identity as a Jewish boy. Never mind that it won't actually provide the income that he needs in order to survive. I read the story of a guy by the name of Jake. Jake was a guy who was struggling where he was. And so he moved to Nashville. He took a job as a bartender. He started drinking all the time, and there was a different girl every night in his life. He did his own wild living. This is what he said. He said, five years in, I had moments where I laughed at myself and I said, man, fools do this. Fools do this. I'm living like a fool. Now, you would think that he was coming to his senses when he made that statement, wouldn't you? But in the very next breath, this is what he said. A year and a half later, things were still the same. A year and a half later, he continued for a year and a half the foolish living that he found himself in. Now, let me tell you, we, we can't look at Jake or the son in our story and say, how could they do that? I mean, how could they do that? And the reason we can is because we all know how they could do that, don't we? Because we've all been there. We've all done the same thing. We're all slow in coming to our senses. We all think that we have to fix our own problems. Now, let me, let me be real honest with you. This is the place in our awakening where we tend to get stuck. This is that place where we tend to get stuck. My first experience with a roundabout. You all know what a roundabout is, right? I don't know why they build them, but they do. My first experience with a roundabout wasn't a good one. I was in a city, a big city that I had never been in, and I'm driving in rush hour traffic, and I get in the inside lane where I shouldn't have been, and I found myself going around in circles. And I couldn't get out of it because there were just too many cars. And I found myself going around four or five times before I could ever find a chance to just exit and get off. So a roundabout was not a good thing for me. Maybe you're here today and you'd like to put the pieces back together and you'd like to get on the road toward healing, but you find yourself stuck in a roundabout of life. And you're just going around in circles. I mean, you're trying to fix the same old things, getting the same old results, and getting no closer to home. And if that's you, then you need to understand this. The first part of the awakening to regret is when we finally acknowledge the need and we come to our senses and acknowledge the fact that we can't do this anymore. We just can't do it anymore. We, we can't fix things, but our Father can. And so after a long and destructive journey, the son in our story finally came to his senses and in a moment of clarity, the third element that was strung together comes into place. And it's simply this. He got up and went to his father. He got up and went to his father. Look at what, it, look at what he said. I will go to my father 
and say to him, Father, I have sinned against God in heaven and against you. I am no longer good enough to be called your son. Treat me like one of your workers. The younger son got up and started back to his father. That there, that's the power of the awakening of regret. It becomes a catalyst for redirecting us toward our Heavenly Father. You see, the awakening to regret involves both recognition of the problem and then a move toward the solution. You get that? It's a recognition of the problem and a move toward the solution. In other words, you can't have one without the other. It's not just about feeling bad for what we've done and regretting it. It's also doing something about it. You know what's interesting? The Bible calls that repentance. As you look through the Bible, that's what the Bible calls it. It's called repentance. The Greek word for repent means to change one's mind. It's to do an about face. It's to do a 180. It's to turn around. And if I was walking towards that wall, I would change my mind and turn. And now I would walk this way. That's repentance. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament means to return. So the biblical idea of repentance is this. It's to change your thinking and to return to where you came from. So it's turning. It's changing. It's doing something about it. It's changing course. And it's this. It's motion, not just emotion. Over the years as a pastor, I can't tell you the number of times I've seen people come down front who have repented. But it's been all emotion. And how do I know that? It's because when they leave here, nothing changes. Nothing changes. It's just emotion. They get caught up in the emotion of, of, the, of the day or, or what's happening or what's being said. And so they, they, they get convicted and they come, but they never change. That's not repentance. Because it's not just emotion. It's motion. It's doing something. It's changing. It's turning around. And it's returning to the one who created you, to your God. It's not just regretting what you've done, but actually doing something about it so that change takes place. Now, you may be thinking, I understand all that, man. You know, I understand all that. I see how the son put those pieces together in the story. Yeah, I see that. You know, he acknowledged his need. He came to his senses, and then he got up and went to the Father. I see all that. But I'm just thinking about the number of times that I've been sitting at that breakfast table, having come to my senses, feeling terrible about what I've done and knowing exactly what I need to do, but then just sitting there watching the clock tick by while I just do nothing about it. I know what I need to do long before I actually do it. Here's something I read this week, and it really makes a lot of sense. Somebody wrote, insight doesn't necessarily lead to change. Insight doesn't necessarily mean to change, lead to change. I mean, just because you think it's a good idea, just because you think about it, just because you know you need to change, doesn't mean you are going to change. So for you this morning, maybe it's the proverbial morning after, and you've been awakened to the change that you need to make, yet you're still sitting there, not doing anything about it. 
Now to any of you who are stalled right here in your life, I believe God wants to say this. I believe God wants to say, you've got to let the awakening to regret finish its work and lead you to action, to repentance. Let the regret that you are feeling and sensing move you toward God rather than tolerating another complacent day, complacent week, complacent month or year. I mean, don't just wish you could start over. I mean, get up and start over. Start the process. Do what needs to be done. I mean, don't wish your marriage was different. You be different. Let God change you and then watch as your marriage changes. Don't just sulk in regret over what you did or didn't do for your kids all the years that you were growing up, man. Get up and make the most of today. Do something about it. Don't quietly commit to end a destructive habit. You need to get into a mentoring relationship with a brother or sister in Christ. And you need to tell them your story. Why? So that they can hold you accountable. That way change takes place in your life. So what are your biggest regrets? And most importantly, are you ready to do something about them today? Now, I believe some of you are ready to do that. I believe some of you are ready to start over today. And if we were to give it a, a commitment time right now, you would probably come, and I would hope you would. But others of you, the doubts about whether starting over is even possible still looms very large. Maybe too large for you to have the courage to move towards God with your regrets. You see, for you, it's not necessarily complacency. That's holding you back. For you, it may be fear and shame. Shame of what you've done and fear of what God may do. Now, let me touch on one other thing that keeps us living in that distant place at times. And it's this. For some, for some you may be afraid that the church might not be able to handle your problems. You ever been there? Some of you have, I know. You may think the church just can't handle my problems. So even though you come, you keep yourself closed off. You bury your regrets and you put on this fake fa facade just trying to fit in with all the other so-called happy Christians. If that's you, here's my encouragement. It's time to take a chance on both the church and God. It's time to take a chance on both the church and God. And, and, and there's two reasons why. First of all, because this church is not a community full of squeaky clean people who have it all figured out. I mean, that is not us. Let me tell you, the only thing that we have figured out here is that we all need Jesus. I mean, that's the only thing we have figured out. We are just sinners saved by grace. There is no perfect people allowed in this place. You have regrets? Guess what, man? I have regrets too. In fact, I, I thought about this this week. This is a place we need to call a Me Too church. It's a Me Too church. Because it's where the healed have scars and the helpers have struggles and where the leaders lean into Jesus as they struggle their way through life. That's the church. 
And the second reason why it's worth taking that chance is because we know, get this, man, we know how the story of the prodigal son ends. We know how it ends. We know how the stories of people who have traveled that same journey that you may be on today have ended. We know what happens when they return to God in repentance. We know the end of their stories. And their stories are amazing. Here's the thing. Jesus first told the story of the prodigal son to a group of tax collectors and sinners. These were the outcasts because they were, uh, they were the outcasts because the religious establishment couldn't handle the regrettable things that they had done. Those things that were on their lists. But Jesus was very consistent in his disapproval of the religious establishment. And he told this story so that we could know that this is what God is like. This is what God is like when we come home, when we return in repentance. This is what our God is like. And you need to know what the Father is like. Because if the Father is only what you imagine him to be, then you might as well stay where you're at. Jesus is telling you this story so that you'll know that he's a good father who loves you unconditionally. Let me tell you, you may have trouble forgiving yourself, but God doesn't. Other people may have written you off, but he hasn't. You may not have counted yourself worthy, and you don't know what to expect when you come before God and expose what you've done. But let me tell you, Jesus told this story so that you would know that there is no condemnation in his voice when through repentance one of his kids come home. How awesome is that? Let's reflect. And so this is my prayer for all of us this week. This is my prayer for you this week. I just want you to pray this prayer. God, awaken in me the reality that with you I can start over again. Awaken in me the reality that with you, God, I can start over again. And give me the courage to change my thinking and to return to you. Now, understand, you won't have all the answers. It's not about having all their answers. You may not be able to imagine how God could redeem what you have screwed up, but that's exactly why you have to entrust yourself to him because he knows, get this, I love this, man. He knows how to rewrite your story. He knows how to rewrite your story. You and I have a good, good father, and he's waiting for us to repent and to return home. And so here's the bottom line. The choice, like it always is, is yours. It's your choice. And so in these next few moments, Matt's going to come. He's going to be playing in just a moment. And in these next few moments, you can sit here in complacency, knowing what you ought to do, yet hesitating to actually do it. You can do that. That's your choice. You can remain frozen in fear and shame, allowing the roots of regret to continue to grow deeper and deeper and deeper within your heart. You can do that. That's your choice. 
or you can choose by the grace of God to come home, to wake up, to come to your senses, to acknowledge that you can't do it on your own and you've got to have the Father. You can't fix things, but He can. And so you come to the Father in repentance. Now here's what I'm going to do this morning. I prayed a lot about this and thought a lot about this this week. About how I wanted in this time. But let me tell you, this is too important. This is one of those messages, I believe, because it has affected me, that can affect you for the rest of your life. And you can leave here glad today because you decided, you made the choice to not be complacent, to not allow fear and shame to stand in your way. But you've decided to come home in repentance and to take your regrets to the only one who can fix them. That's the Father. It's your choice. So here's what we're going to do. I've asked Matt to just sing. He's going to sing a song while we reflect. Never heard the song until this week when he sent it to me. I said, that's what I want. Right there, that's what I want. And so as he sings, two things are going to happen. One is, if you just want to pray today, if you just kind of want to get some things right, I mean, you, you already are there, but you just are struggling in some areas. You just come and pray. Just kneel and just pray while he sings. But for others of you, repentance needs to take place in your heart. You need to come in repentance and say, God, you're right. I've allowed these things to take me to a distant place, to take me further from you. And, and I need to come home because I know you'll be there for me. And like the father in our story, he's already watching and waiting for you just to return. And if that's you, which I hope it is, that's been my prayer, then you come and sit in the front because Chad's going to be down here and I'm going to be down here because we just want to pray with you. We're not going to share your, what you've done. We're not going to say, hey, you're not going to believe. Oh, man, you're not going to believe what he just told me. We're not going to do that. We're just going to pray with you and encourage you as you come back to God in repentance. I pray you have the courage to do that. And I, and I don't apologize for asking you to because the stakes are too high. It's time to come back to the Father.